grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today is from our epistle lesson from Romans chapter 3. We know what, that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes a knowledge of sin. What becomes of our boasting? Well, it's excluded. By what kind of law? By, the, by a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith, apart from the works of the law. You know, dear friends of Christ, 504 years ago, it's 504 years now, uh, that a young priest and a professor in Wittenberg, uh, professor of theology, wrote something that changed the world. And Martin Luther did change the world. And you, you'd have to study all of Martin Luther. We did that uh, three years ago for the 500th anniversary. We studied how a man changed the world. He literally did. And we live in those changes that Martin Luther uh, instituted in the Reformation back in those days. We still see the, the results of that today. 504 years ago, Martin Luther made a six-minute walk from his cloister in the Wittenberg, uh, the doors of Wittenberg to the, to the castle church. 504 years ago, Martin Luther nailed these 95 statements, these 95 theses on the door of Church Wittenberg, and the debate started, and the world changed. In short, the Reformation, it's all about repentance. And, of course, when Dr. Martin Luther first dipped his quill in the ink and composed those first 95 theses and uh, and spilled those theses out on a paper. It wasn't a jab at the Pope. It wasn't uh, uh, written um, as an angry priest trying to get his way. No, it was a diligent priest trying to get the church to repent, trying to get the church to change. Because the church was filled with all kinds of problems. Reformation begins with repentance. Reformation begins with change. Because that's what repentance is. It's changing. Of course, repentance is a red flag. Because if you need to repent, it means there's something wrong. If you need to repent, it means there's a problem. Right? And repentance means that a problem exists that requires change. Well, and if you're thinking the Pope was a problem or that the Catholic Church was the problem or that purgatory was the problem, well, you're, you're not catching the whole picture. This isn't about a Pope or uh, about uh, the teachings of the Church as much as it is. This is not a day that we as Lutherans bash Catholic theology or that we do a happy dance because we're right and they're wrong. No, the Reformation is about repentance. And when you have repentance, there's a problem. And the problem isn't so much with Rome as it is with me and with you. Repentance begins here. Change begins here. And so our theme, repentance and the Reformation. In our text, Paul addresses the problem. Because if there's repentance, there's a problem. For there is a distinction all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
The problem is that we've all sinned. That's the problem. We're all lost. We're all condemned sinners. And we're worthy of eternal hell. We deserve punishment because of how we behave. But God did something to save people like us. God did something to save sinners. Again, Paul writes, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You know, God sent His Son for a reason. Do you believe in Him? It's called faith. People who believe in Him, it's called faith. And faith justifies. Faith alone justifies us before God. Justify does not mean that, uh, or justify means that God doesn't count your sins against you. That's what justification, biblical justification means. God doesn't count your trespasses against you. He doesn't count your brokenness against you. It's because all your sins have been placed on Jesus. So salvation is not about what you're doing. Salvation is not about your works. Salvation is about what Christ has done. Salvation focuses on the cross. It focuses on Jesus. Gets our eyes on Him. The saving Christian faith is not about your blood, your sweat, your tears. The Christian faith is about the blood, sweat, and tears of Jesus. I mean, look, look, look at the altar here. On Sundays where we have communion, there you have on the altar His body and blood given and shed, His body and blood right there. And there's a reason why it's on the altar. There's a reason that it's there. It's there to deliver forgiveness to you. It's there to make you holy. And then you come to receive His body and blood for the forgiveness of your sins. He makes you holy. He delivers you. He justifies you. And you receive it by faith. You're justified. Your sins are not counted against you by faith. That's what sets the Christian faith apart from all the other religions of the world. We are the only religion in the world that's true, but we're also the only religion in the world that's not based on works. Every other religion, you have to pray, you have to serve your God, or you can't go to heaven. You have to do certain things. And they teach, they teach about rule-making and rule-keeping. And if you're good at doing everything that that rule God says, then your God will be pleased with you. And if you don't keep the rules, then your God will not be pleased with you. Other religions are all about your zeal for your God. But we confess with St. Paul that all our commandment-keeping falls short. We have a problem. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. And commandment keeping is not a stairway to get to heaven. The law of God is good and wise. It is. The law of God is holy. But the law is not your Savior. The law has never saved a soul from hell. Not once. It never will. The law will reveal your sin. The law will reveal your brokenness. The law will stop your boasting. I'm a good Christian. Look what I've done. Look at, look at a, the great person I am. The law will silence all of that. Put you on your knees. The law will rip away, rip away every holy pretense you have in your soul and drive you to your knees. The law condemns us. And the law reveals we've got a problem. 
we all have fallen short of the glory of God. And the law leaves us with nothing left to say except God have mercy upon me, a sinful human being. Now I'm sure that many of you have gone undergone an MRI treatment before uh, at some point. MRIs are wonderful diagnostic tools to find what's hidden inside. And it's what the human eye can't see. Of course, the MRI reveal the root of the problem. You may have symptoms, but you're fine, you want to find out what's the root of all of my symptoms because I'm not feeling well. Why? And they do an MRI, and the MRI finds a hidden tumor, or the MRI finds that the cartilage isn't where it should be, or the MRI finds out why you're, why you're not feeling, why you're feeling so badly, why you're in such bad shape. Well, the law of God is our spiritual MRI. The law of God examines us. It, 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 it peers deeply into our hearts to see what the problem is. Because I know all the symptoms. I've got all the symptoms. I'm angry. I'm impatient. I'm prideful. I'm selfish. Why do I get angry? Why do I lose my temper? Why, why am I selfish? Why don't I want to come to church every Sunday? Why don't I want to continue to learn about Jesus? Why don't I want to study my Bible? Why am I so stubborn? Why do I hurt people with my words? These things are problems. They're symptoms. But there's a deeper problem. The real problem. And so the law comes to reveal the root of our problem. We have sinful hearts. Broken hearts. We talked about the kids of fearing God, respecting His authority, honoring Him above all things, the first commandment. We don't fear God above all things. We don't love God above all things. We don't trust in God above all things. The law reveals a problem. We have a heart defect. And Jesus talked about our hearts. Jesus said, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. This is what defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person. You say, those things don't come out of my heart. Yeah, Jesus says they do. When Martin Luther caught a first glimpse of the diagnosis of what was inside of him, he was terrified. That's inside of me? That's what God sees in me? Evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander? He realized his body was riddled with cancer, the cancer of sin. And your body is riddled with cancer too. The cancer of sin is in you and in me. So what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about your problem? Well, let's get back to the Reformation. As a monk, Martin Luther was accustomed to going to confession. He confessed his sins on a daily basis. Sometimes he confessed his sins many times, many times in a single day. He was so burdened by all that was wrong with him. He felt the hand of God heavy. He got, he got so bad that his father confessor, who was Johann von Staupitz, uh, told Martin Luther to stop looking at your sins and start looking to Christ. Good advice. 
Stop looking at your sins and look to Christ. And Luther did look to Jesus, and that made a difference. He saw, he saw God differently. He began to see Jesus in a different way. He no longer saw God as a judge, but as a Savior. He no longer saw God as angry, but as loving. He no longer saw God as being a, a, someone who wanted to send him hell, but someone who was filled with grace and mercy and, and love. A Savior who was willing to die for him, carry his sins for him, suffer for him, be punished for him. And Luther finally understood what Jesus meant when Jesus said, if the Son will set you free, then you're free indeed. This is what makes Christianity different from all other religions in the world, all other world religions. No one else has a Savior who has done everything for them. Everything that is necessary for your soul to go live with God, to keep your souls free from hell and punishment, Jesus has done everything necessary. You don't have to add to it. Jesus did all the work. And that's good news for lost and condemned sinners like us, convicted sinners such as you and I. This is good news. Because we're as guilty as we can be. We're as deserving of hell as we can possibly be. And yet we're able to stand before God. Why? Because Jesus declared you innocent by his blood. We were read on this day because it's a Holy Spirit day. The Holy Spirit works in your heart. But I like to think this day is read because of the blood of Christ. Because the blood of Christ has set you free. So don't look to your sins. Look to the Savior who has set you free, who declared you innocent by His blood. Christ became sin for us so that we might be freed from our sin. Christ went to death so that we wouldn't die. He became what you are, a sinner, so that you could be made holy. The Bible says we receive His righteousness. Jesus takes our sin and He gives us His holiness. That's what this robe is, <laughs> right? Underneath, I wear dark because I'm a sinful human being. Christ covers me with His grace. He covers me with His love. Look not at your sin. Look at Christ and His righteousness. Luther called it the blessed exchange. And so salvation, your salvation is not a deal. Your salvation is not a negotiation where you have to work things out between you and God. No, our, our salvation is not you doing your part so God can do his part. That's not how salvation works. No, Paul writes what we believe. We hold that one is justified, declared guiltless, declared innocent by faith apart from the works of the law. So you're simply declared innocent, apart from anything you might be doing. Paul continues to write, so that what becomes of our boasting? Well, then our boasting is excluded by what kind of law? The law of works? No. But the law of faith. Okay? The law of faith. What is the law of faith? What's the law of faith? Well, I want you to think of it like the law of gravity. A law that is something that runs the universe. A law is something, there are certain laws that govern our existence. They govern our existence whether you're here on earth or in the furthest solar system. 
It's, it's, a, it's a law that, that, always, that always governs us. Well, I want you to think about the law of gravity because it's just like anywhere, no matter where you go, there's a law of gravity. If gravity is there, you'll fall. Gravity's not there, you won't fall. There's, there's the law of gravity. And no matter where it's at, it's always the same. So what is the law of faith? Well, it's the same law. It governs our salvation. It's the same everywhere. And, and the law of faith is this. It happens every time that when Jesus sheds his blood, sinners are forgiven. It's a law. Now, not the kind of law we have to obey, but a law that is reality. That kind of law. The law of faith. The rule of faith. That if you believe in your Lord Savior Jesus Christ and confess him with your mouth and believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, you will be saved. That's the law. And so, again, what Jesus has done in the end, the saving faith is sufficient. Jesus has done all the work. And so I want to give you the same advice that Martin Luther gave to his, his confessor, Stalpitz. Um, he gave Martin Luther, he said, stop looking at your sin and look at Jesus. Our salvation has been won. We are set free from sin. The transaction is complete. And of course, Jesus said his best when he breathed his last. He said, it's finished. To the unbelieving ear, you know, this sounds outrageous that we could just be cleansed, that we could just be forgiven. And it seems outrageous. You take a sinful little baby to the font of holy baptism and God enters here through the water of word and makes that little baby holy and washes that little infant and washes the sins away. Again, this is not a way to want a true religion. How do you expect people, your congregation, to do good works if good works aren't necessary for salvation? You know, well, good works are necessary, but, but it, the good works aren't the foundational thing for our salvation. After all, isn't Christianity all about doing our part? Isn't Christianity about my prayers and, and my work and, and my offerings and my volunteer hours? Don't that, doesn't that count for something? No. It counts for nothing. At least in regard to our salvation. Our deeds fall short of God's glory. And again, Paul writes, For by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes a knowledge of sin. No, we're not saved by the law. The law is not our Savior. We're saved by Jesus. And we're justified by His blood as a, as a, and by His grace as a gift. And this gift of salvation is received by faith, by the law of faith. If you feel like you need to do something for your salvation, I, I have a suggestion. Repent. It's what Reformation is all about. Repent. Change. Stand before the Lord. Stand before Jesus. Look at Jesus and with, an em with empty hearts and empty hands, say, Lord, save me. Confess your sins. Lord, save me a sinner. Admit the worst and thank God that Jesus Christ has given you the best. He set you free. And why has Jesus set you free? I think Martin Luther said it best in his small catechism. Why has Jesus set me free? So that I may be his own so that I may live under him, under him in his kingdom and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness, just as he's risen from the dead and lives and reigns to all eternity. This is most certainly true. Amen.
Now may the peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus and to life everlasting. Amen.